What's up, Porch? So good to be with you guys tonight. I want to say hi to our uh, Fort Worth family that's just west of here. If you're from Houston and you're not glued to a television watching the World Series, congratulations. You're the only person in Houston not watching the Houston Astros currently. But we're so glad everybody's with us around the country. And uh, hey, I, I want to tell you, we are starting a brand new series, and it is called Thou Shall. Now, that video got me as pumped up about Thou Shall as anything ever has, because I got to tell you, I got some baggage with Thou Shall. I'm not a Thou Shall person. I don't respond well to commands. In fact, even though I grew up in a fairly churched context and I was exposed to some of these commands, I didn't like them. And so I don't know if you've ever identified with that, but that's where I kind of grew up. And so I would find like a loophole around anything. It didn't matter what it was. was like, thou shall honor your father and mother. Well, that sounds like more of a suggestion. I don't know how you read it, but it sounds like, you know, maybe it's a suggestion. You know, thou shall not get drunk with wine. Good thing I'm a beer guy. <laughs> Easy. All right, you know, thou shall not commit adultery. I'm not an adult. <laughs> I'm gonna do whatever I want with whoever I want. And so that's kind of the way I was rolling through life all the way up to and including some of young adulthood. And by the grace of God, I became a believer in Christ and I started to entrust more and more of my life over to him. And now after almost a full decade of following Christ and trying consciously to let him have every bit, 100% of my heart, I am convinced that the reason I thought that way is not because I didn't understand the commands themselves, but it was because I did not understand the full context behind them. I'm gonna say that again. I, did, I believe that I rejected the commands of God, not because I didn't understand them, but because I simply didn't get the full context, the full purpose, the full reason, the full heart of God behind the command, the reason for the rule or the belief behind the behavior. I completely missed it. I had no idea. And so nobody likes commands without context. Can we just agree that nobody likes commands without context? This is why some of you right now are frustrated with your boss because they dropped by and they said something that sounds like this. <clears throat> well, uh, corporate's doing a restructure and uh, you know, there's gonna be a new rollout and basically a lot has changed. And here are the new commands. And you lean forward like, okay, what's the why? And then they walk off. And you're like, oh, I guess I'm just supposed to trust that this is not the dumbest idea ever. All right, and now my whole world has changed and there's no context, there's no why, there's no purpose. You're just like, wow, must be nice. And this is what we all experienced it. Every single one of us experienced with our parents because there are four little words that are given to every uh, English speaking parent in the world and they are the words when you ask why, they say, we're all related somehow. All of our parents raised us the exact same way. Because I said so. It's like, really? I mean, going, looking back, you're like, okay, first off, thank you for reasoning in a circle. Second off, restatement of your point is not an explanation of your point. But you can't say all that when you're four. So you just take it, all right? And so that's the way it's like when you grow up. You just get the command and you have no context. And a command without context is really just a demand, and nobody likes demands. I know that about you. I know it about me. Nobody likes demands. We don't like commands without context. And worst of all, you might have got this from church when you were younger. I did. It was like, don't run. Don't run at church. Why not? Just don't run. But be nice to people at church. These people aren't even nice. It doesn't matter. Just be nice. I mean, there's no purpose. There's no purpose given at all. And unfortunately, even Christians ourselves sometimes cause this misunderstanding. And here's why. It is easier to find a Christian giving commands 
than it is to find a Christian who's giving context. You know what I mean by that? It's easier to find a Christian in public or in culture or in politics or at work or at class or just in your friend group. It's easier to find a Christian who is all about giving the commands of God. You know, it's almost like they kind of are on patrol all the time. And it's like, hey, don't do that. Don't drink that. Don't smoke that. Don't touch her. Don't even like her, you know, in fact. And so there's, it's really easy to find a Christian who is the moral police, okay? But it is hard to find a Christian who is proposing instead of imposing a relationship with God, the heart of God, the context of all the commands. And as we launch into this brand new series called Thou Shall, it is indeed on the 10 most famous thou shalls and thou shalt nots in all of history. And what we don't wanna do is we are unwilling to risk that you might walk away and you might think, you know what? God is more about commands and demands than he is about context. God is somehow more about just giving rules than he is about giving reasons. God is somehow all about just moral behavior and he has nothing to do with belief. And we are not willing to stand up and spend a few weeks giving you these thou shalls without investing really strongly in the context that they came in and what they mean for us. So get ready. We're going to spend our entire evening on the single sentence before the Ten Commandments. So if you have never spent an entire sermon, half an hour on one sentence, today's your day. All right. So we are going to look very closely at one sentence, the sentence before the Ten Commandments. Nobody knows the sentence before the Ten Commandments. That's like knowing um, who bats before Babe Ruth. Nobody knows who bats before Babe Ruth. They know Babe Ruth. And so we are going to actually look at the sentence right before the big commandments, because we want you to see three crucial pieces of context that come before these commands. Because context matters big time, and it matters to God. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna go to Exodus chapter 20. So Exodus would be the second book of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus. You don't have to go very far. Just start at the far left and start turning right. You'll get there pretty quickly. Exodus chapter 20, and we're gonna look at verses one and two. Verses one and two just make up one single sentence. But before we go there, I want you to know a little bit about the story of what was going on. So it pleased God to create a perfect world, which fell later into imperfection and chaos. And he decided to redeem that world by creating a family that would turn into a nation that would produce a savior of the whole world. And that, of course, is Jesus. But that's 1,500 years after this passage that we're looking at right now. Exodus chapter 20, um, experts are somewhere between 1446 BC and 1276 BC. Not important, you just need to know it's a long time before Jesus. All right, and so God is in the middle of launching this redemptive plan for all of history. And Israel is on the verge of becoming, for the very first time, its own nation. So Israel had been just a family, started with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph, if those names are familiar, and the family grew and grew and grew and they went to Egypt. Well, they continued to multiply in Egypt until finally the leadership changed of Egypt and instead of it being a friendly place to visit, they were oppressed and they were enslaved. And God led them out of slavery and were on the verge, at this time, they were on the verge of having land for the very first time. That's why the book is called Exodus. It is the exit of them from Egypt. All right, so as they are preparing for the very first time to go into the promised land, if you've heard that phrase, that's where it comes from. They are on the way, they are en route to the promised land and God looks forward and says, these guys are gonna need some instruction before they get there. And that's why God gave the law, the most famous section of which is the 10 thou shalls. So that's where we are and we're gonna go six words in right now. Are you ready? Here it comes, Exodus chapter 20, verse one. And God spoke, all these words. Let's close in prayer. I'm just kidding. 
And God spoke all these words. Now think about this. These words matter so much because of where they are in the story. You're in the 70th chapter of the Bible. So Genesis has 50 chapters and Exodus has 19 prior to this. Think about, do a little flyby with me about what the previous 69 chapters of the Bible involved. You've got God creating a perfect world, free of any hardship at all, free of death, free of any of that. And people begin to immediately break God's law and we break this world completely. Death comes in, sickness comes in, shame comes in, guilt comes in. All the things that you struggle with today have at least their beginnings then. And just one generation later, the sons of the very first parents actually murder each other. One murders the other, I should say. After that, we get the first serial murderer, not long after that. And then we get people sleeping around with each other immediately. And then on top of that, you get people who decide, you know what, I wanna worship something, I'll just worship some tree. Or I'll worship the ground, or I'll worship the sun, or I'll worship some golden thing that represents a bird. And so there is total spiritual confusion and God who had reached out all along the way, just read these other 69 chapters anytime you want to, you'll find God persistently, persistently trying to reach out to humanity, trying to reach out to us, to have a relationship with us. And he would have had every legitimate reason to no longer reach out to us. Which is why you wanna thank God that he's not like you. Because we do things like this. Well, if you're not into me, I'm not into you. That's the kind of stuff we do. But God says, you know what? No matter how far you go from me, I am gonna continue to reach out to you. And it says, and God spoke all these words. That's That's a miracle in and of itself. It's the grace of God that he would even decide to speak to us. Here's a thought you didn't have on the way to work, probably. What if that hadn't happened? What would the world be like? What kind of chaos, there's the hint, chaos would have ensued if God hadn't spoken these words? What if there was no governance? I mean, what if that happened? As Americans, for some reason, that sounds good to us. We have some really misguided ideas about law and freedom. Sometimes people say things they don't think about, like, oh, what if there was no law? Wouldn't that be cool? Oh, no, that would not be cool. You do not think about what you just said. Drive in a third world country and find out how much you miss the law. It is absolute chaos. And the truth is, is without God stepping in to provide some kind of structure, it would have resulted in complete and utter moral depravity. Now, here's a quote from Clay Christensen at Harvard Business School. All right, not Watermark staff, not a church, not the seminary, not Christianity Today, Harvard. If you get rid of religion, you won't be able to hire enough police, end quote. Just today in New York City, more chaos. A man, if you haven't seen it, a man drove a a truck in an act of terror and killed eight people on the streets of New York City. That just happened today. I was here four, five, six weeks ago, and then that was the week of the Las Vegas incident. There's constant chaos in the world if God doesn't even restrain a little. And if he hadn't spoken up, our semi-safe lives would not even be semi-safe. And so why would he do it? Just commitment to us. So the first piece of context you're gonna want for any thou shalls that you're gonna hear, you're gonna wanna know God's commands prove God's commitment to us. God's commands prove God's commitment to us. This is so huge if you had a dad who checked out on you because God doesn't give up, he leans in. I wanna tell you a little story about my family. I had a really strong, I have currently a really strong command type dad, world-class dad. And I have a little brother who was the worst toddler in the history of all of toddlerdom. He was rough. I'm talking about some unbelievable willpower. 
I'm talking about like, hey, don't do that. And then he does it while making eye contact. Like, I dare you, you know? And then the promised um, discipline comes and then he does it again. Just tears of anger, not even tears of pain, just like anger. My father would point at him sometimes, you know, to get his attention and it's like, hey, you better do that. And he would ball up his little fist and point back, but he couldn't straight out his, straighten out his finger. And so he would just look back at dad with a little claw like this. He'd point right back at him, just completely fearless. So, you know, the car seat is designed to keep a three-year-old or a two-year-old safe, a kid safe. And my dad had to drive with one hand on the wheel and one hand on the car seat with him punching the hand and the wrist. And he would just make himself tired punching the hand and the wrist. He didn't have a demon to our knowledge, but it was weird. And so he just would go and go and go. And then eventually one day this light bulb goes off in his head and you could just see him think. And then he just spits all over his hand and says, your move. And he looks at him like, your move, wow. And so this is the kind of dude we're talking about. I'm gonna tell you one more story just because I can't resist. One time, he was three and a half, maybe four. We're eight years apart. So this is how I have memories of this. I was 12. And so he was three and a half and afraid of my dad more than him. And so he, he's about three and a half, four, somewhere through there. And my dad and I were at, our, at my grandparents' house, but he and his mom, divorced parents, so he has a different mom. So he and his mom were home and dad and I were out at our grandparents' house. And um, Wade, my little brother, has thrown his Game Boy at his mom. And which was just kind of normal occurrence. Thanks for gasping. But I mean, it was just pretty, it was kind of normal, you know. And so my dad gets him on the phone and he says, hey, I heard you threw your Game Boy at your mom. And he said, yeah. And he said, well, how about I take your Game Boy away? How about that? That's what dad said. And Wade says immediately, how about I kick your butt? How about that? And so that's the kind of normal, that's, that's normal. I don't know where he learned it. Wasn't me. Okay, so he this is just kind of what's going on in our house. Now, I could tell you more. I guarantee you, when we get together for Thanksgiving in four weeks, this is gonna come up. We just go through them all because it's so entertaining. You'll be glad to know he's a functional member of society today. <laughs> it all went away. He's, a, he's on scholarship playing baseball at, at University of New Orleans. It's super exciting. We're really proud of him. He's a great guy, but it took some work. All right, and so listen, <laughs> my, my dad, like think about this. Think about what if your dad, like what if your dad, a dad has a choice at this point, Okay. You can check out completely. That would make you absent, Dad. You could just go hands off and laugh about it and hope he grows out of it, which is to say you could be passive, Dad. You could get mad and over-discipline, you know, and spank him too hard and blah, 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 and you could do all that, and then you'd be angry, Dad. Or you could persistently give kind-hearted commands, and you'd be a loving dad. This is the heart of God. He loves us even in our rebellion that is way more toddler-like than we think. And he leans forward into us and he doesn't stop giving structure to our lives because we need it. The 10 commandments are not an expression of control. The words thou shall are not an expression of control. You need to know that. It's God's commitment to you. That's why they're there. Because he is committed to you and he's committed to your good. Six words. All right, let's keep going. Verse one. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord, your God. Who's God? Your God. I'm your God. You're my people. There's a relationship here. You see, I'm not just speaking this randomly. I'm saying this to people I know and that people who know me. I am the Lord, your God. The commands are going to his people, people who know him, people who know that he's committed to them, and people who are ready to obey. Not just the, I'm the Lord and I'm in charge. I'm the Lord and I'm your God. You belong to me and I belong 
to you. It's relational. Everybody was taught this when you were a kid. Everybody knows. You obey people you know. Mom, dad, teacher, yes. Man with beard and candy and white van, no. We don't know him, so we don't obey him. But it says, the Lord your God, meaning everything I'm about to tell you is spoken within the context of an existing relationship. The commands I'm about to give you are not going to create a relationship. We're already in one. So the second piece of context that you're gonna want for the Ten Commandments is that God gives commands to us after he has started a relationship with us. Relationship first, then commands, always, even in the Ten Commandments. Relationship first and then obedience. Relationship, then obedience. This is huge because it means for us that you can't get into a relationship with God by obeying commands. You can only maintain a relationship with God by obeying commands. All you can do is keep fellowship with God. You can't create an initial fellowship with God. It is impossible. You cannot do it. And if you're like, oh, really? Are you sure? Let's get Jesus' thoughts on the subject. I would love to do that. Check this out in, chap- in John chapter 14. This is fast forward 1,500 years. Listen to this way Jesus captures this. If you love me, that's a relationship, you will keep my commandments. That's obedience. If you love me, if there's a relationship here, if there's a real relationship here, then you are going to keep my commandments as a natural outworking of that relationship. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, there are two mistakes that people try to make with this principle. That relationship comes first and then obedience. Here are the two mistakes. They get the order wrong. And so they think, I am gonna be so obedient that somehow God is going to love me. I am gonna clean myself up. I am gonna stop sleeping around. I have had it with him. I'm breaking up with him. I knew I should have done it. And I am gonna start listening to my friends and I'm gonna start reading the Bible and it's just gonna be different from here on out. And then God will be pleased with me enough at least. I'll meet him in the middle and we'll have a relationship, okay? This is just something natural we do as people is we think we're gonna obey our way into a relationship with God. That's a mistake because the Bible says that a relationship with God is based on grace, that is a gift from him to you, through faith, which means you trust him, you depend on him, you rely on him, and then the obedience comes afterward. You can't obey your way into a relationship with God. You trust your way into a relationship with God. And so that's the first error, is people try to obey, and they think that will win them a relationship. The other mistake people commonly make, this is increasingly common, I'm sad to say, is that people just leave off the whole obedience part. It's like, I've got a relationship with God and I don't need to do anything else. Therefore, there's no commandments, freedom in Christ, right? And so people say, you know what? I've got this relationship with God and so I love him. And so, you know what? Let's not get all legalistic buzzword about it. You know what? what? Let's not get all uptight and mechanical about it. I've got a relationship with God, so why obey? And I'm telling you, you might want to discern whether or not you love Jesus the way you think you do because he says right here, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Not if you love me, you will find ways to talk yourself out of my commandments and claim freedom in Christ. It says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Relationship and then obedience. Start to finish in your Bible, it's amazing. And God is saying, I give you this law. I give you these commandments to govern our existing relationship. Now there's one piece of cleanup I need to do on this. The truth is, is you're in a relationship with God whether you wanna be or not because he created you, and that's the way it works. You know, you don't get to pick your mom, you don't get to pick your dad, 
You can pretend, but you don't get to pick your God either, not really. There's one God who created you. And by the way, being an atheist or denying God or denying the scripture actually is not an exemption from the 10 commandments because the government thinks some of these are important. Like thou shalt not kill. I mean, can you imagine killing someone and telling the judge, no, I'm an atheist, man. I don't do the 10 commandments. That's not gonna work. The government will put you in adult timeout. If you steal or if you kill people, you will actually be secluded from society. That's the way this works. And so I'm not saying that you are only in a relationship with God totally if you choose to be. Of course, you've gotta opt in and give your trust to him and that's a choice that only you can make. I'm saying you get to decide whether you wanna be in a rebellious relationship with him or a cooperative relationship with him. And if you decide to be in a cooperative relationship with him, then these commands especially are there to help you flourish. All right. Verse one, again. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, and then the last bit, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Hello, you think there's some context? Out of the house of slavery. You are here because I freed you. You're, the only reason you're even here, the only reason we're having this conversation is because you prayed to me and despite everything wrong you'd ever done, I chose to answer you and so now consequently, you're free. You exist in a state of freedom. You've already started to complain about it, but you exist right now in a state of complete freedom. And the word slavery right here signals to us as we read that every one of these commands is a ticket to freedom. Every one of these commands is a way to stay free. The reason God, why would God mention the past like this? Oh God, you know, don't mention the past. Why would he mention the past? Because he's saying the slavery of the past is no more and what I'm about to tell you right now is the way to stay free. Every, thou shalt not commit adultery in order to stay free. Thou shalt rest once a week in order to stay free. Thou shalt not covet each other's wives or, or husbands or houses in order to stay free. That's the spirit behind these commandments. That's a huge, huge distinction. So the third piece of context you'll want tonight before we keep going in the series later is that God's commands are given to preserve freedom. How good is God? God's commandments are given to preserve freedom. It's not 10 commandments because I said so. It's not Bible because I said so. It's 10 commandments because I want you to be free. I want you to stay free. I gave you a gift and I want you to preserve it. And ironically, ironically, we believe, we believe that God's commandments actually reduce our freedom. How bizarre and insane is that? We actually think that if we adopt the commands of God, that we're somehow gonna be the ones who miss out. Like if we do these thou shalt and thou shalt nots, we're gonna have less life instead of more. We're gonna have less freedom instead of more. But here's the curveball. If you're sitting there thinking, oh, if I follow the commands of God, I don't get to have my sex or I don't get to have my stuff or I don't get to have my relationship you don't even realize that the relationship or the sex or the stuff has you. You are currently not free. Listen to what Jesus says, John chapter eight. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. That means if you think your favorite sin expression, whatever it is, you pick it. Self-obsession, chasing money, you pick. If you think your favorite sin expression is a ticket to freedom, you are actually already enslaved to it. 
I experienced this. Pornography for me was just a world of curiosity when I was 14. But when I was 21, it was a world of bondage. I started to practice sin and I became a slave to sin. It started to own me. And I might have even told you I was free, but I wasn't. I started to practice, but then I got caught. See, that's the way it always works. So, you know, this happens when you like, if you might notice this happening, if you, um, you know, you drink wine socially, but then all of a sudden you're drinking wine solutionally. Like now it's a solution. Like instead of like, oh, you know what? You know, people like me better and the jokes are funnier and you know, I'm gonna have a glass of wine at this thing. Now all of a sudden you gotta have a glass of wine every time you come home from work and you find yourself looking forward to it. And all of a sudden it's gone from a social thing to a solution thing. Something broke you and you're not as free as you think you are. This happens in relationships. It happens between people. You get into a relationship and it starts to go good and you're like, oh man, this is like, this is a serious option for the rest of my life. I mean, I'm like, we are thinking about this. This is getting serious. And then all of a sudden you start sleeping together and they become the focal point of your entire life where you can't even imagine life without them. No matter how bad they treat you, no matter how much your mama doesn't like him or her, no matter how much the friends around you are saying that this is alarming and not the right relationship, and all of a sudden you find yourself enduring all kinds of abuse and hardship and weirdness and drama, and the option for you to put down the relationship is gone. You've lost freedom because you started to practice sin. That's the way it always works. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. But praise God, two verses later, he says, if the Son of God sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So in summary, God's commands prove God's commitment to us. God gives commands to us after he has started a relationship with us. And thirdly, God's commands are given to preserve our freedom. I'd love to close by telling you a story this evening. So there came a, a time in my life that was, uh, that was pretty rough. I'd call it kind of the low point. I was pretty young, so it's hard to call it the low point, but I know that it was. I was um, an early teenager, and uh, I told you my parents were divorced, and um, they had been since before I even had a memory. And I was living with my mom, and um, I basically uh, got into junior high and decided I wanted, I wanted to overrule my mom, and I just wanted to be a thug. And I, so I started smoking weed. I know that's crazy. And so, but I started smoking weed. I ran from the police, almost got arrested, stole my mom's car to go joyriding. Um, I was sleeping around already and uh, I was just not a nice kid. I was not a good guy. And uh, you know, you think, you look back at that and you think, ah, it was kid stuff. It wasn't, man. I was guilty and I knew it. And uh, the situation really came apart for me, started failing out of school, no lie. And, uh, and then the situation really fell apart. My mom married the wrong dude. And uh, there was a domestic violence situation that was kind of ongoing for about six months. And I was put in some, some pretty tough positions. Um, and this guy put my mom in the hospital twice. So that's what it was like in the house for a brief period of time. Thankfully, my mom um, knew that she was valuable enough to extract herself from that situation and to move the kids out. So we did, but it was really, really, really hard. And uh, in the midst of that, I sat down and I started thinking, you know, I do have another option. Now that mom's out, mom's safe. I mean, I could go live with dad with all his rules and I started to think about it. Like, do I really want, you know? I was a punk and I knew it. I had an older brother who was a few years down the road, farther down this road, and he was reaping even more destruction. And I thought, you know what? I wonder if I should go live with dad. And I started to think about it, kind of weigh my options. Hmm, is the law worth it? Is it worth it to get all the commands? Because he was a tight dad. I mean, he was, he was ruling with a tight fist. Was it worth it? And I started replaying memories from my whole life. And I noticed that every time he spanked me, he always explained before and he hugged after. 
And I noticed that after every little league game, win, lose, play bad, play good, he was always telling me he loved me and that it was enough. And that every time he pushed me really hard, he would tell me that he loved me no matter what. He always called, he always wrote, he never broke a promise. And he did all this from miles and miles and miles away. I got birthday cakes every time I went over to his house. I'd already had a birthday party, it didn't matter, dad's buying a birthday cake. So it was constant. I thought, I grew up thinking, this is crazy now knowing, but I grew up thinking that 20-somethings had nothing better to do than drive to East Texas from DFW to hang out with their t-baller. Like I thought that that's what 20-somethings did. They just drive all over Texas to hang out with their four-year-old or their five-year-old or their eight-year-old because that's what my dad did. I was so convinced. And so as I weighed my options uh, of all the chaos that was outside of me as an early teenager and all the chaos I knew was inside of me, I could see the heart behind my father's discipline. And I chose to move in with him. And I knew when I got there, his controlling hands were gonna come on in and it was gonna be like, the law has come to town. Sure enough, here's our first conversation. Hey, if you act like a thug, I'm gonna send you back to East Texas. Okay, got it, knew that was coming. And so he was a firm dad, but I knew the intent of his heart. I knew that Hebrews 12, six, that God disciplines those he loves was part of my dad's heart. It was his heart. And it made it easy to move in closer to him. My dad and I have an amazing relationship to this day. And so what I wanna tell you is, if you can see the heart behind the commands of God, you will be attracted. You will move closer. If you know it's not just control and it's not just limiting freedom, it's not, as we say, trying to rip you off, but it really is trying to set you free. If you can see that, then you will move closer to God. We won't be able to keep you away because you'll see his heart. And you'll know what he intends for you. And when you feel those commands of the Bible, there's no secret, there's commands in the Bible. Of course there's commands in the Bible. But when you feel those bump up against you and demand a change from you or demand a sacrifice from you, all of a sudden you will like it because you know it's a father forming you. Romans 8 says that he's bringing us all into his image. He predestined us to be conformed into the image of Christ. That means that every command of God is for your good so that you will look like Christ and you will stay free from whatever Egypt he brought you out of. That's the goodness of God. But if you can't see that, you'll stay away and you'll be suspicious and you'll think, I'm not gonna give my life to God. But if you can see the heart, if you can see the context behind the command, which is why we wanted to invest an entire night in one sentence, because we know if you can see the heart behind the command, you'll come closer just like we all do. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father in heaven, that you saw fit to speak to us even when we were undeserving, even when we had turned our back on you in every way imaginable. When we suspected you that your commands would just make us uncreative, when we thought that your commands would make us bored, when we thought that your commands would lead to less life, you still pressed forward and you still pursued us. Thank you, God, that you saw fit to do that. God, help us to see that you discipline those whom you love. Help us to sing just like David did, things we thought we would never sing, like we love your law. We meditate on your law day and night. Oh, how we love your statutes, sweeter than honey. Give us a heart to see, God. Give us eyes to see past the thou shall and help us not be suspicious of your mouth that speaks it. Because you're trying to have a relationship 
with us. You're trying to keep us free. The only reason you ever regulate life is to make it better. Teach us to believe it, God. In Jesus' name, amen.